Morning. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I just got that hour back <laughs> just through singing, right? There's some energy in here that honestly I just wasn't expecting. Um, uh, good morning. I, um, this might be the most theological thing I say today. Um, daylight savings is not of God, <laughs> okay? I don't think it was in his original pl- blueprint for the world. It is just totally contrary uh, to, I think, what God would have for us. But it is so good to see you guys here. Um, even if you go to bed early, it's, it doesn't feel like we've made that hour back. And so if you need coffee, there's some delicious coffee in the lobby that our volunteers made for us. And sometimes I, sometimes I say, hey, if you need to like, sleep, like, I'm not going to be offended. Like, we hope that you're tuning into what God's saying to you. But of course, man, if you need to catch some Z's, by all means, like we hope that this is a place. But we're so glad to um, have you guys here, especially with it being 60 minutes early. That is a huge deal. You guys must really love Jesus. So, uh, so glad to have you guys here. Um, we're in this sermon series called uh, Making Everything New, Even You. And it's been all about this idea um, that, yeah, getting to heaven is such a gift, but God's actually in the process of trying to get heaven into us. God's trying to transform our world now and impact us now. God's trying to change our lives forever in the now, not just when we die, but here today. He's trying to change our lives forever. So I wanted to tell a story of a time that my life was changed forever. Um, It was March 20th, 2022. It was a Sunday, and I was actually preaching that day. You guys might remember I had these um, these full-fledged uh, car seats right here on the stage. Uh, thanks, Justin Turner, for uh, bringing those. Um, and I was giving a sermon that day, so it seemed like a normal Sunday, right? And so uh, after church service, you know, I go to our young adults group, and we're just kind of connecting and hanging out. And then I drive home to Glen Mills, and I get home, and I'm, I see my wife, and we're talking, and she's kind of acting strange, <laughs> Right? Like, you, you know your spouse enough to pick up, like, something's off. Uh, and so we're talking a little bit, and she's like, hey, I have a surprise for you, because my birthday was coming up in a few days, and so I was like, okay, sweet. <laughs> and so um, then she says, hey, close your eyes. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. So she's like, close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. I got, I got a surprise for you. And then she says, open your eyes. And to my surprise, after trying for some time, we were expecting. She showed me a positive test to that, hey, we're, we're having our first child, right? And so in that moment, my life just changed forever, right? I, I was really dumbfounded. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I think I said it like 30 times. She could tell you that story. And then uh, fast forward two weeks later, April 7th, it's our first appointment, um, and our lives change again, um, because when we look in the monitor, we see two heartbeats, right? And so here's a picture of my wife and I, just totally shocked, totally shocked and excited for what was to come. In this moment, everything had changed. From that moment on, our whole lives have changed because in the the coming months, we would move, right? We were living in a small 750-square-foot apartment that we could not stay in with twins and a dog and us. And so we would move in the coming months. Uh, I realized that my Chevy Cruze could not fit two car seats without your torso pressing up against the steering wheel. And so I went on Google and I searched dad car, and the first thing that showed up, no lie, 
the first thing that showed up was a Toyota RAV4. So I'm driving a dad car. You might see it with a sticker, twins on board, right? Um, I remember, uh, you know, as I'm kind of uh, leaning into this new role, because everything's changing, I started buying dad sweaters. I'm like, I need to wear dad sweaters. I gotta look like a dad now. I started looking at New Balance shoes, because dads wear New Balance shoes, right? And they're so comfortable. Um, I have this tin of dad jokes, and so I'm faithfully studying these dad jokes in preparation for my girls, right? Our conversations had changed. The way we manage our finances changed. Everything in our lives had changed. There was no corner of our life that was untouched by this good news of life. In the same way, there's good news, and it should be touching every corner of our lives. It should be, there's no stone in our lives that is untouched by what God has done. And that's not something we're waiting for when we die, but that's something that happens today, right? We want to participate in that today. And so our lives should look different. Our marriages should look different. Bob gave, gave a great sermon last week about what that could look like. Our marriages should look different. Our singleness, if we're not married, if we're just kind of charting through life, trying to figure out what God has in store for us, like, hey, that's singleness we can use to God's glory. The way we have conversations around finances, the way that we manage our time and our energy, the way that we talk and love people who disagree with, with us, the way that we love people on the opposite side of the political spectrum. That should be touched by this good news. Everything should be impacted by it. Everything should be influenced by it. There's nothing that is undone, nothing that remains untouched. And this is what Paul's getting at in the book of Ephesians. Uh, this is what Paul's getting at in, in the scripture we see earlier in the book. He talks about this idea that um, God's not making new things, but God's making all things new, meaning he's taking things that might exist already and that are broken and need fixing, and God is actually making those things new. And the language that we see Paul use, he's not calling us Christians. He doesn't use that verbiage, but instead he says new humans or new humanity. We're just totally brand new. And so if this is true, if all this is real, the idea is that the gospel, this good news, should touch, slowly begin to transform the whole of our lives. And I would venture to ask, if it's not, I would venture to ask, are we really hearing the good news? And is it really transforming us? The bottom line for today is, if, if you remember anything from today, it says, the good news imposes, I love that word, imposes on every corner of our lives, including our relationships, for the purpose of restoring it all. In today's passage, um, Paul is going to hone his attention in on the relationships between uh, parents and kids. And so I realized, I actually realized this last night, which is probably way too late to realize this. I realized there's some people in here who, um, who don't have kids, and that's okay. Um, however, we're all kids, right? And so hopefully this kind of speaks some life into us, but hopefully we just get a bigger picture of the vision that God has in mind for our relationships. Because let me tell you what, it's good. We don't want to miss this, okay? And so that's where we're going to be. Now I'd like to preface um, the sermon with kind of uh, some disclaimers, if I may. Um, I'll be making kind of some observations today of just about how families operate, um, how we relate to each other, and, and what the scriptures are inviting us into, but I don't want to ever gloss over the fact that families are complicated, right? And some of you under your breath there might have said, amen, right? Um, families are complicated, they're broken, and so I don't ever mean to gloss over anything, but of course I can't address everything today. And so I just wanted to kind of preface the sermon with that. I'm going to make some statements, and I hope... Um, 
I hope you'll kind of see what uh, Paul is getting at in these things. And then secondly, y'all might be thinking, hey, Christian's only got four months of parenting experience. Is he qualified to teach any of this? To which I would say two things. One, I kind of have like eight months of parenting experience, right? If we think about it with twins, does that count? Maybe. I don't know. Um, and then secondly, am I qualified to teach this? Of course I'm not. Who is? Like what parent has this down pat? I'm kind of learning that parenting is like you're, you're, you're exercising new muscles, you're learning new skills, and you're kind of doing some guesswork along the way. And that's why grace is a thing, because uh, we're going to get it wrong. And that's okay, okay? So um, just wanted to mention those things. So please have like low expectations for anything that I might have to say. And have high expectations for what Paul is inviting us to participate in. Amen? All right. Um, let me go ahead and uh, pray as we kind of jump in. So please pray with me. <clears throat> Spirit, God, we would just pray that you would hold us accountable. Move in our hearts. May we not deny you the liberty to redeem and restore things in our lives, even if it hurts or makes us uncomfortable. So God, I just pray for us that we would invite you in. May we subscribe to a way of living that reflects the new work you've already accomplished as we become new humans. We are discontent and pray for your intervening because we've just gotten it so wrong along the way. God, we've gotten comfortable and complacent, so may we stop pretending as if we can or do have control, God, and may we just offer our whole selves to you as you make us new. God, we entrust these things to you and pray this in your name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, we are in the book of Ephesians, which um, is this, this idea, this, this picture that Paul is painting of a new humanity. What does it look like for a life to be touched by the gospel? What does it look like for a life to be just totally renovated and transformed by this good news? Again, it should touch every single corner of our lives, right? And so in the first three chapters of this text, his letter to the, book, uh, the church in Ephesus, he details, hey, this is what has happened. This is what God has done done. It is incredible. If you're paying attention, your jaw should drop. It is a big deal. And then in the, the chapters ending the book, in four to six, he talks about, now this is what it looks like practically. This is what it should look like in your life. This is what it should look like in the day-to-day, -day, in your relationships, and how you engage with your neighbor, right? And he's offering us, offering us some practical advice. And he's writing this to, a home, to home churches in Ephesus, meaning he's writing to, to Christians, right? And if we're being honest, it should make us a little uncomfortable, okay? It should challenge some of the ways that we're doing things, because that's what Paul, Paul's doing here. And so I would never discourage you to shy away when you read scripture and you get a little uncomfortable. It is like a really good thing. It's like a massage. It hurts, but like it helps, right? And so I hope that this text hurts a little bit, but in the long term, I'm confident it'll help. And so we're going to start off in chapter 6, verse 1, and this is what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Mm. Can I get an amen, right? Anyone? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my girls are about four months old. Here's actually a picture of them. Uh, they're the sweetest. They're so sweet. Oh my goodness. Um, they're four months old. They're like too young right now to deliberately like rebel and disobey. And so it's kind of hard for me to like, um, hard for me to get, you know, overwhelmed or mad at them or anything like that. But I told my wife, hey, hey, just in case, 
make sure the girls watch today's sermon because uh, I want them to like get what we're trying to teach them. And in fact, last night we had like a little Bible study, the four of us, and we're like, kids, girls, you guys, you have to obey us. Like that's, that's what God's inviting you to do for this is right, right? So just in case, just to make sure they're prepared, I'm sure some of you are thinking even right now, like, hey, should I actually go to Kid Zone and bring my kid in here to listen to today's sermon? Because I think some of us resonate with the reality that parenting is difficult, right? Kids are complicated little beings. Right now, my girls, I call them potatoes because they kind of sit there, but eventually they're going to be potatoes with arms. They're going to be crawling around and moving and stuff. Parenting is really difficult. It is challenging in every single stage, uh, and it overwhelms us. And so some of us might be thinking we resonate that this task of raising humans is very complex. We experience the, the, the tension, the difficulty, and the beauty of raising uh, kids and hopefully to love Jesus, right? And so therefore, Paul sees that as important, and he's going to write about it. And he's going to give some really important instruction, which is going to challenge everybody in the room, okay? Um, and so with this passage in particular, what I find fascinating is that Paul's first addressing the children. Right here, the first word that we see is children. And this would have been pretty off-putting at the time because kids had the least amount of power in ancient Greco-Roman society. They were not involved in these conversations. They wouldn't usually be in the room. So Paul's writing this under the assumption that they're going to be there and they're going to be listening to this. And so he writes to them as the most powerless individuals in the room and he's giving them instruction. And it's really cool because elsewhere in the book, when he opens his letter to uh, the kids, the, the kids and the family, he says saints. And so he's calling the kids, like, you guys are saints, uh, just like the adults. So he's kind of flipping Greco-Roman systems here and saying, hey, you are all image bearers. There's no one over the other in this situation, right? He's elevating kids to equal status um, just with the first word in this passage, and he offers them a bit of instruction, and he says, obey. The Greek word is hupakuo. See, some of y'all might want to write that down in case you want to teach that to your kids later. Uh, Hupokuo, which means to listen or to attend to, or listen attentively. Like you are drawn in, you are captured by what you are listening to. And so that's the word that Paul is using, obey. However, their obedience in the Lord isn't just to their parents, right? As they obey their parents, they're actually obeying the Lord. Uh, that's why it says, you know, we're doing this in the Lord. And it's something hopefully they're not doing begrudgingly or, or um, with difficulty, right? Um, but hopefully the children are obeying the parents to create this harmonious relationship between the two. Like that's the vision that they would be affected by this and that they live in harmony with each other. And so as they obey their parents, the idea that Paul's trying to get at to this Christian household is saying, hey, obey your parents. And when you do so, you're actually obeying Jesus, right? This is good, this is right, this is part of God's design for us. And so Paul continues in verse two. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. So Paul repeats it again, because usually kids don't always get it the first time, right? You know? I know I didn't. Um, so Paul repeats it again, but he kind of takes it a step further. Hey, obey, listen attentively, but honor your parents. Honor's like kind of uh, pricing something out. Uh, find the value in what you have and honor and obey your parents. And then he says, this is the first command. 
And he's kind of pulling from uh, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. He's saying this is the first command with a promise. Right? This is the first command with a promise that, that your life may go well and that you enjoy, may enjoy a long life on earth, right? If, if the goal is to get into heaven, then I don't know if Paul or any scripture would say, like, enjoying a long life on earth, right? There's something that God's trying to do here on earth in us today, not just tomorrow, um, to, to work out something in us, to transform our lives, right? And so, um, hey, honor your parents so that it may go well with you in the long run. Here's a picture of my dad. My dad uh, with the arrow there. Um, he was a mechanical engineer, uh, and he worked at the Delaware City Oil Refinery, which for many of you who go to the beaches in Maryland or Delaware, you would pass this oil refinery as you drive by. He was a project manager there for quite some time, and so he's very familiar with uh, like chemicals. And so I remember uh, we lived, grew up on Louisville Road. I'd want to light fires. That was, sounds like a pyro. We had like a little fire pit. And I love the idea of just going out and sitting out and relaxing and lighting a fire. And my dad would always say, never, ever, under any circumstances, use gasoline. And I thought to myself, Dad, come on. Like, you of all people know gasoline is a really good product to use, right? <laughs> like, this thing will burn. And I was right. Like, gasoline burns really, really well. But that was the problem. My dad, working uh, with these substances with, uh, in his job, was very familiar with the properties of gasoline. He would tell me that gasoline burns very, very quickly, and it is very explosive. And so if you try and pour gas on an open fire, there's a high chance that the flame will climb that spout of gasoline and ignite the can you're holding and explode because it burns so quickly. And I don't know if you knew this, but one gallon of gasoline exploding has the explosive power equivalent to 14 sticks of dynamite. So imagine you're, you know, lighting a fire with a five-gallon can. And so he'd explain this to me and then offer me a can of lighter fluid. And I'd be like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for this. I wouldn't have known that gasoline would be so dangerous, right? You see it on YouTube, and you're like, hey, it's on YouTube. It must be accurate. Um, I must be able to use it for a fire, right? Um, however, my dad, being in the field, knew it. And he was looking out for me. So in that moment, he wasn't trying to ruin my fun. No, he was trying to preserve it, right? And I think this is the image that we're getting here in this passage. There's this beautiful vision that Paul has for families um, that kids would obey, but that parents wouldn't be like, the vision here is not that the kids would be lorded and ruled over, but the vision here is that the parents have the best interests in mind for the kids, and, and the instruction they offer is an exercise of love for their kids, Right? Now, if I didn't trust my dad, or if I didn't think that he had my best interest at heart, I'd be like, Dad, you're such a buzzkill. Like, I want to use the gasoline, right? However, I trusted my dad. I loved my dad, and so I knew he had the best interest at heart, and so I heeded his instruction. I said, okay, I won't use the gasoline right now, you know, or ever, right? But the vision is that God's trying to, God's trying to use our parents to help lead us and instruct us, right? And I know a lot of parents in here resonate with that. They're like, man, I want nothing more than to care for my kids. I want nothing more to raise them to be Jesus-loving individuals. Uh, and sometimes we wrestle with the disconnect of maybe what happens, right? But that's the vision. It's so that um, 
so that uh, honoring our parents would be for our betterment, our thriving, our protection, and for our peace and harmony both in life with our parents and with God. Like, that's the vision that God has here for a house of new humans, right? And so Paul reminds us of this promise, uh, pulling again from the Old Testament, um, that obedience uh, to parents, because they have your best interests in heart, should be a good thing. It helps us to avoid mistakes that maybe our parents have made, right? Um, that we can avoid blowing up our hand with gasoline, right? I avoided that. Um, that we can avoid the common pitfalls in life, uh, in conflict, in tension with each other. Um, that we can anticipate dangerous situations well before we enter them. Uh, that we can have the foreknowledge of trouble before it arrives. That we can benefit from the love and the wisdom and the discernment from our parents. And that we can learn to love God and love our neighbor really well. Like, this is the vision that he has. It's very harmonious and beautiful, and that's what he has intended for us. This commandment is supposed to be a gift for both the parent and the child, right? It's supposed to be a gift for both. Because again, remember, the bottom line here is that the good news should impose on every corner of our lives, including our relationships with our parents and our relationships with our kids. It should impose on all of those things and begin to transform them into something that is beautiful, right? That's the vision here. So some of you might be thinking like, wow, Christian, profound sermon. This is amazing. I'm going to take my kids right home. We're going to rewatch this sermon. We're going to have a Bible study. We're going to talk about the etymology or the origin of these words so that they can get what it is that you're teaching. And some of you are so thrilled by that. And I could end the sermon here and we'd all be happy, right? It'd be a great thing. In fact, a lot of times when we see this teaching, it kind of ends at that like, kids, obey your parents. Come on, kids, obey your parents. And I could end it here, but that would be totally incomplete. It's like if I give you a Chick-fil-A sandwich without the chicken patty. It's a crime, right? <laughs> uh, or it's like the band Journey without the song Don't Stop Believing," right? Like, <laughs> whew, it does something to your soul. I could end it here, but it'd be totally incomplete, and I think some of you already realize that, because some of you have questions of this text, very appropriately so, and some of us are discontent with it already, and this is why. What do we do in situations where parents are abusive? What do we do in situations where parents don't have our best interests at heart? What if we've experienced trauma in life at the hands of our parents? What if the things my parents are inviting me to do are actually contrary to the things that God is inviting me to, right? If we're reading this passage, these are very honest questions that we should ask of this passage. And I think Paul realized that. I think Paul was aware that, hey, families are a bit more complicated, right? He's speaking to a Greco-Roman society where, again, kids aren't very valued, right? And so he's speaking to that. And so if we ended the teaching here, it'd be incomplete, and Paul knew that, which is why he continues. And I wanted to mention this. Um, the way I think of this teaching is his first command to kids is like the frame of a house, but the second command to parents are like the nails that hold the frame together. And so here it is in chapter 6, verse 4. It says this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. People often ask me, uh, hey, how are the girls? How are the twins, right? 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. They're so sweet, right? Um, they're starting to like cue and like yell a lot. Like we'll put them down in the crib and the lights will be off in the room and you just kind of hear them babbling back and forth to each other. They're starting to kick a lot. Um, usually I kind of hold them right here when I feed them and they're kicking my torso so much that it's actually getting really sore, right? They're getting strong uh, and all these things, right? And they're just really sweet. I'm not saying like it's a walk in the park or that it's easy. There's definitely moments it's so overwhelming. Kudos to you parents. Um, but it's just been a, such a really sweet journey. Um, and so oftentimes I share that to people, and then they always say that thing, just wait. <laughs> just wait until they are teenagers, right? They often say that. I know, it's kind of a shot at you guys, right? So I'm a youth pastor, um, so uh, no offense, I'm a bit more biased to teenagers, so I'm with you guys. Um, and so uh, I wanted to kind of pause here for a moment and kind of uh, process, because if you read in between the lines, it's not a very exciting thing, right? They're like, hey, just wait until they're teenagers. They will um, rob you of all your money, they will empty your refrigerator, and they will crush your soul type thing. It's like really overwhelming. Um, and so I want to pause and kind of like, hey, let's read between the lines. Let's kind of figure out what is going on here, um, because I think there's some value to that. That's like an honest confession of, hey, things are crazy different when they hit these adolescent years, right? And so um, these little kids that we once knew are no longer the same individual. Quite literally, uh, the amount of transformation that happens from a kid to adolescent years, they are a totally different person, Cognitive, cognitively, emotionally, spiritually, socially, uh, physically, right? And it happens so quickly, right? It happens. You always say, you always kind of hear, I, I try not to do this a lot, but when I see someone, I'm like, oh my gosh, you grew a foot since the last time I saw you, right? Um, it just happens so quickly. Then what happens in the context of that family is things uh, aren't often described as harmonious, right? But instead, the opposite happens where they're changing so quickly and everything's changing that we would describe that as a season of like conflict or disruption or confusion or chaos because this, this kid that I knew is no longer uh, the same kid anymore. And I want to guess that maybe Paul had that in mind as he's writing this passage. Maybe Paul had that in mind, and he knew that the families he was writing to, that there was some conflict and tension in the house, that there were some things going on that overwhelmed the parents, and rightfully so, overwhelmed the child. And so he's writing, perhaps, with this context in mind. And so with all this in mind, he cast a new vision for what it could look like and what it should look like in this new humanity. And he includes this instruction, fathers do not exasperate or anger or irritate your children. This is the first negative command we get in the whole teaching, isn't it? Because the kid's like, hey, obey and honor. But to the dads, he's writing to the dads because they had like authority in Greco-Roman time, right? And the social codes and kind of the house codes, how they ruled and operated in the Greco-Roman world, um, they were kind of seen to have authority. And Bob addresses that really well in last week's sermon, which I invite you to check out. But dads were also really harsh. It was totally socially normal to be just really harsh to your kids. And so Paul is writing this in light of that. He's offering, um, Bob said this last week, uh, it's not a paradigm shift, but it's just a total paradigm bomb. He's blowing up this house code that parents had. He's saying, hey, fathers, do not exasperate your kids. He's addressing a new culture of parenting for new humans. If we're new humans, then maybe the way we're parenting is, is changing, right? 
And Paul's not writing about like the natural clash of wills that we might have with our young people, right? Like if we give them a curfew of 10, they say 12, and you get mad and fight. Like that's not what Paul is addressing. Paul's not addressing when maybe your four-year-old is really mad because they can't have ice cream for breakfast, right? Paul's not addressing like the normal, typical clash of the wills, but Paul's addressing something that's actually much more severe. He's referring to the provoking of your kids to anger and overwhelmed by your own rage, inconsistent arbitrariness, a selfish exercise of authority. He's referring to the lack of attentiveness to temperament and not paying attention to the huge impact our words and actions have with young people. It's an exasperation produced by unnecessary, arbitrary, and unsympathetic rule. Are we feeling uncomfortable yet, right? He's challenging this norm in Greco-Roman times, and I hope it even challenges us today. Because this was a pagan habit in Ephesus. People who weren't of, like, new humanity, this is how they kind of lived and operated, and it was totally okay. But this is not what it looks like to be a new human. God's actually going to redeem and restore relationships with with kids and kids with parents. Um, The good news, if it is good news, should touch everything. And so here it is, um, impacting the way that we kind of engage with our kids. And so... Is Paul saying that we can never, ever get frustrated or angry? Of course not, right? Uh, I already get frustrated at the idea of my daughter's dating. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a philosophy of how am I going to handle that? Um, you know, last night uh, was already spring forward, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the concept of like the four-month regression in sleep, where they're like doing so well, doing so well, and then flip of a switch. It's just like they're up all night. Um, one of our girls, Whitley, was up all night last night, and this is like the first time in months. And I'm like, girl, couldn't you have picked like the fall back, right? You picked the spring forward, right? And so I got a little frustrated and overwhelmed. And so Paul's not saying, hey, you can't experience emotion. I think God knows us well enough. I mean, he's created us to know that um, emotion is uh, part of how we operate. And God probably knows the parenting journey enough to know that being a parent will bring out every living emotion in you at some times, the good and maybe the not so uh, good. And so Paul is aware of that. But Paul is saying something else. He's not saying, hey, you can't experience emotion. He's saying, but rather, that uncontained anger or rage cannot and will not be a tool or a force to coerce your children to obey. You just can't. Anger and frustration that is unbridled cannot be a means by which you get your kids to submit. Because it won't work, and it's not the way of Christ. But some of you might push back and say, hey, actually, it does work. (laughs) It does work. I've seen it in my household. Like, you know, I kind of steer a pretty tight ship, and if they don't obey, like, I will be hard on them. And it does work. But I might lovingly push back and disagree because obedience produced by anger, fear, distrust, I wouldn't call it obedience. And I don't think it's what God would want for us. Obedience out of fear and anger or hatred is not God's desire for families, right? It's probably a bit more dysfunctional than we'd like to admit. And I could hardly call that attentive listening. Remember Paul saying, obey, listen attentively, hang on every word that your parents are saying, right? But if they're doing so out of fear, distrust, hatred, frustration, we can't call that obedience. 
But God's trying to paint a different picture for how we can operate in a different way that our kids can respond to us. Obedience as an expression of love and respect and honor and trust. This is what God is getting at. What a beautiful picture that that could be in our families, right? Kind of seems like far-fetched utopian, but it's, it's possible to grow in that direction. And so that is what Paul is saying. Do not exasperate them. Don't get angry at them for the sake of getting angry at them or letting them be an outlet for your frustration. That's not going to help you, and it's not going to help them. And then he shows us a new way to do it. And he says in verse 4, Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. By show of hands, is anyone garden in here? Garden. I know that we're getting into garden season. Holler out, what are some of the things you like grow? Collard greens. Kale. Tomatoes. Brussels sprouts. Y'all are healthy. I mean, I guess you can't grow unhealthy stuff. Flowers. There we go. Uh, <laughs> um, you guys know more than anything, when you're growing, there's two really important things that you got to be aware of. One, what does the plant need to be nourished, to thrive? And the second thing is, how am I going to make that happen, Right? How am I going to tend to its nourishment, its well-being? How am I going to help it grow? And if you fail at one of those things, right, if you pour soda on a flower instead of water, like, I'd be interested actually to see the results, but I'm not sure what they'd be, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, You have to know what it takes to nourish this thing, and then you actually have to follow up and make that happen. And so what Paul is writing here, instead of exasperating our kids into obedience, we are to bring them up. And guess what? The Greek word for bring them up is ektrepho, which means to nourish, to nurture, and to feed. How cool would it be? How cool would it be if we could just like water our kids and put them in the sun, and then they just like grow up to be like beaming individuals, right? <laughs> um, that's not part of God's design, right? Um, if we are to nourish our kids, right? Paul's offering a new paradigm. This is how we operate in the new humanity. If we are to do that, we need to um, know some of the things that they need and then actually uh, meet those needs, right? And so one resource that I thought might be helpful, um, it's not a like explicitly theological or Christian resource, but I think there's some value to uncover that I wanted to share with you today. And so um, American psychologist Abraham Maslow created this thing that we call Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. He created this in 1943, and this is kind of my youth pastor hat. I'm always wrestling with how can we nourish young people up into their faith and in life in general. And so um, what he is saying, the, the premise here is that people are complex. We're not just physical beings that you feed and then send on our way and we grow into the young people that we should be, right? Um, this is highlighting that, hey, people are complex. Uh, we have different layers that we need met in order to thrive. And so the premise here um, for this kind of pyramid is, hey, when we can start meeting the basics, um, it opens the door for our, uh, our ability to better care for some of those higher and even, I'd say, maybe really more important things on that pyramid. And so the baseline is the physiological needs like food, water, and home, right? Like if someone came in here today and they not had a meal, this sermon will probably do no good for them because all they can think about is, I need a meal, right? Or some of you are really struggling from daylight savings and you are just sleepy, right? Um, this sermon may not, you know, resonate or land because you are just trying to stay awake. And so what he's saying is like, hey, we're physical beings. Like, what if we cared for each other exceptionally well in this area? And the next thing up is safety, security, and stability. 
Um, I kind of consider this like physical safety, but even spiritual safety. Um, you know, do kids have a safe place to ask all of their questions? You know, uh, do they have a, a safe place to kind of wrestle with some difficult questions that might make us uncomfortable or questions that we don't have the answer to? Are we providing them a place where they feel comfortable and safe, right? And this, this applies to adults, by the way, just as much as teenagers. So we even look at our own lives and ask these questions, right? Then the next thing up is, you know, once they have a, a place that they feel safe, then it kind of opens the door for people to experience love and belonging. Um, I think this is why... I think this is why, you know, teenagers and myself are on social media a lot. Like, you know, that's where everybody is. Uh, and so to not be in that, you don't feel like you belong. You kind of feel like you're missing out. And, and adults do this too. We just have our own ways of doing it, whether it's like the, the nice car, the nice house, or having people over say, hey, check out my nice car, my nice house, right? Um, we just have different ways of doing it. But the, there's a yearning that we all have to, to be loved and belong. Uh, and then once we have a space where we feel like, hey, I am loved, I belong, we start to see ourselves differently, and so our self-esteem is impacted. Um, we have respect for ourselves and for others, right? And once we kind of are in that place of, hey, I see myself differently. I see myself as God sees me. I see myself uh, as my parents lovingly see me. Once we're kind of in that space and we meet that need, then we kind of have this last top of the pyramid. He calls it self-actualization, and I kind of want to put some theology in on it. I think it's like an awareness of the spirit and then an awareness of what it means to be a new human. Like what the, the potential that God's given all of us to be transformed, for whole lives to be shaped differently. Once we kind of, um, and it's not, a, this isn't a rule, it's more of a resource. And so as we're kind of caring for the different needs, as we identify them, just like good gardeners, as we identify the need, we gotta figure out, hey, are we meeting these needs? And I think in doing so, um, We'll be able to care maybe a bit more effectively for our young people. Uh, and when in doubt, you can always add a bottom layer to it, um, Wi-Fi. <laughs> that kind of applies for everybody, right? You know, very basic. Um, I think Maslow, Jesus, and Paul would agree that people are just complex. And our means of handling things just with rage is not going to cut it. It's not going to meet the needs. It's not going to nourish people in the way that we want. And so he offers that, that different uh, reality. So if we want to parent in a different way, we don't rage or exasperate without any idea of the impact that we're actually having on our kids. And instead, we bring them up to nourish them, to identify the needs, and to do our best to fill them. And in doing so, that sets us up, hopefully really well, for this last part of the text, which is the, uh, the training and instruction in the Lord. Paul reminds us at this passage that your most important role as a parent is to disciple your kids. So let them know that they are loved, not based on their performance, not any of this stuff, right? That they are loved and cared for by an infinite God um, who loves us. And so he gives us these two roles, training and instruction. Training, uh, the Greek word is paideia, means teaching them according to their capacity, right? And so you don't see a lot of kindergarten classes taking calculus, right? It makes sense. Uh, they aren't, aren't ready yet for that, but the hope is that we are meeting them where they're at, which takes a lot of awareness and intentionality. We find out wh where are they capable of growing and how can I help meet that need? How can I train them according to their capacity? And so we meet them where they're at. 
Um, in terms of like spiritual disciplines, like reading scripture according to what they can kind of wrestle with, praying, spiritual disciplines, instilling sound principles and training and good habits, cautioning and protecting against these moral dangers, right? This is what it looks like. Or we could let them freely and safely ask whatever question it is that they have and not ever shame them ever for asking a question because that's an honest place to be to share our questions. And so even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if we don't like the question or even if we don't have the answer and we just got to say, I don't know, let's let them ask their questions, right? Um, telling them that they are unconditionally loved by God and then the next thing is showing them with our lives what that unconditional love looks like. It's challenging, right? Especially if they overwhelm us sometimes, right? <laughs> And then giving guidance and commands that are obeyable, reasonable, proper, which you can't do when you exasperate, right? So some of you might be asking, okay, Christians, so we're just supposed to nourish them? Like, do we not discipline them? Do we not, like, hold them accountable and teach them that, you know, some decision-making has consequences? I'm not saying we, can do, we can't do that at all. Yes, you are able to do that, but even under this new humanity, that's going to look different, too. Because instruction, the word is nuthesia. Do you guys love all the Greek this morning? It's, I realize it's an hour earlier and I'm giving them Greek. What's wrong with me? Um, nuthesia is admonition or teaching through discipline. There is a biblical framework by which we can discipline, but it contrasts that how we operate often. And so, um, and I, some people do this here really, really well too. Appropriate discipline is with the hopes of transformation. The end goal is transformation. I'm not trying to remind you of your position as my subordinate or whatever. That's not the goal of our discipline, but rather discipline is for one's uh, training, their instruction to grow. Discipline is to be a tool that teaches, right? Reproof, words of discipline and appropriate punishments with the ultimate goal of transforming. Discipline and punishment is not your anger outlet. It's not just a means by which you can exercise your frustration and anger and feel better about the situation. That's not helpful, but rather our discipline is we walk away, we cool down, we come back and say, hey, this is what has to follow. It's just happened, and this is why. And I'm not saying kids are going to be like, thanks, Dad. Like, probably not. Um, however, that's our responsibility is to lovingly discipline in such a way that it's transforming them too, right? One commentator adds, um, they should discipline a child not because he's angry, but because it is right. Not because it has become a matter of personal contest in which you should win, but because God requires that he should do it and the welfare of the child demands it, but never out of anger. Discipline is a product of instruction. We're new humans, and we're trying to raise little humans to also be new humans in Jesus. And there's a way that makes sense to do it, and then there's ways that maybe don't have the outcome that we want. And so Paul's trying to give us clarity. Hey, that old way is not going to work. Here's a new way to be a new human. And so as I get close to the end, um, I want to mention this role does not happen by accident, right? It's like if you're trying to learn guitar, you don't like accidentally learn guitar. Like, wow, I can play guitar now. Like, in the same way, discipling our kids is not, it's not going to happen by happen chance. Uh, it's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take some vision, some drive for that, right? Um, and it can't adequately be outsourced, right? If you're ever watering your garden, um, if you water it once or twice a week, is it going to grow? No, right? And I know we got like some awesome programs here at the church. Uh, I love working with the students, but that can't be a substitute for discipling young people, because if you water a garden once or twice a week, it's not going to grow, and so um, that's why Paul is saying, hey, this, this, this lays on the shoulders of our parents, 
It can't happen if we're not practicing it ourselves, right? I can't lead someone to where I myself am not. And so the objective here is that we are all becoming new human and we are bringing our kids along that they can experience life overflowing, right? And the last thing I want to mention is we need grace too. We're going to get it wrong. Our kids are going to get it wrong. What a beautiful way to model grace to them, right? There's a God who's so gracious to us. I want to show you that grace as I need it for myself. It's under these conditions that Paul teaches kids obey. Because your parents have the best in heart for you. If parents are doing their part, it's under these conditions that kids are to follow their parents. And kids have the liberty to discern if if the context is wrapped up in rage and frustration, they might have the ability to discern, hey, is this, is this what God's inviting us to, right? The main idea is the good news, what Christ has done should touch every single corner of our lives, including our relationships. What a beautiful vision. God's not in the business of behavior modification. That's such a small view. No, God's actually just trying to restore everything. And God's trying to give us the best fruits of that to experience the beauty of restored relationships. And he's inviting us into that, right? And I don't know what this looks like for you and your family, you know. Um, it requires some honesty on your part on what it takes to lean into this vision. I can't tell you what it's like, but I can suggest there's some practices that we could lean into. Um, the practice of slowing down and identifying where are the gaps in how we're operating here. Um, listening to each other is a huge thing. Not listening to respond, but listening and understanding um, where our kids are at and, and kids where our parents are at. And being honest with each other is such a gift. Even if we don't like hearing it, honesty is such a gift. And then we have to repent and own up. Hey, I've gotten it wrong. I've gotten it wrong, and I want to own up to that. Having grace and deeper empathy are really important. And so the way I wanted to end the sermon today is different. I've not ever done this before. Um, I let you guys write the rest of the sermon. Uh, I sent out a survey um, late last week uh, for, um, for you guys to give me your thoughts on what these things look like. I asked some Questions, and I'm just going to share some of the responses. And I think as we read through these, we can see modeled for us really well um, what it looks like to practice repentance, empathy, listening, and honesty. And so I sent this out. About 30 of you were so gracious and kind to submit it. And the ages of those who submitted were from 11 all the way to 77. And so what a good uh, kind of representation. And so um, I'm going to just read some of the responses. And I hope in some ways this can kind of resonate with us. Some responses up here are... I'm not going to put them up there, but responses that you hear, you might say, hey, that's my story. What does it look like then in your life to participate in this new humanity? Because it's beautiful. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these. The first question, I want to have a fun one, right? Um, what cultural trend, clothing trend, do you not understand about this other generation, right? And so um, some responses from the kids included um, why they, the parents, care if our clothing matches, um, owning so many pair of shoes, Music choices, jeans, and bell bottoms. That's what kids didn't understand about their parents. On the flip side, some responses from parents included jeans with holes, mullets, Snapchat streaks, and kids saying bruh and slay. Guys, resonate with that a little bit? Yeah? <laughs> um, the next one uh, What is one thing you misunderstand about this other generation? Some responses from the kids include. I feel like in today's world, kids are misunderstood by their parents, by the use of the internet and how much you can learn online. 
Someone else said, nothing for my family. I think my parents do an amazing job at being understanding, as well as explaining their thoughts on why they feel differently about our new things. Um, someone else said, mental health and online bullying. And someone else said, they don't trust us to do the right thing. Um, some responses from parents included, I think a lot of adults misunderstand teens, why they are exploring themselves, their giftings, and their interests. Someone else said, how deeply they think about world issues. And if you ever spend one evening in high school ministry, uh, you resonate with that deeply. Um, another one said, all the social media pressure and interactions. And then another said, how much anxiety affects them. The next one. If you could communicate one thing to the other group with perfect clarity, what would you want to communicate? Some of our kids responded, I should be allowed to have social media. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was an honest response, right? I, should, I am trying my best to do what I can to make myself and them happy. Hmm. That I love them no matter what. Some responses from parents include, there's nothing they can do to make God love them less and nothing they can do to make God love them more. Another one said, our rules and limits exist to keep you safe. That resonates with what we've been sharing today. Never be afraid to ask me for help. I will love you no matter what choices you make. I love you with every possible fiber of my soul and body, and nothing you do could ever change that. Hmm. That having a relationship with God is the best thing I can give you. Someone else said, you're not alone. And the last one, how much Jesus loves them and that, if they, don't, and that they don't have to be perfect or have everything figured out. There's good, good awareness here. The last one. If there's one thing you could apologize for, what would it be? Some responses from the kids included, I complain just about a lot of dumb things. Someone else said, lying and hiding things from you. Someone else said, I try my best to apologize when I feel like that I've been rude, had an attitude, been moody, or did something wrong. I think I do my best to apologize when needed, even when it's really hard. Last person said, don't get me wrong, my parents do make me mad sometimes, and I'm definitely not a perfect child, but we all do our best to understand, communicate, and love one another. And then lastly, some responses from our parents. They apologize for not being the best listener. Another one apologized, they said, I always felt like I was and am always busy doing all the things and could have taken more time to sit down and play. And that type of response was the most frequent on this forum. Someone else said, it's so easy to parent based on what I needed as a child, which is often far different from what they need. Someone else said, I could be very hurtful with my words and my last resort is to guilt trip, which my kids hate. Someone else said, nothing, not, or not being good at having deep or meaningful conversations. Losing my temper too easily. And the last person said, I'm sorry, I was so tough on you. God's inviting us into this new humanity to make things different. God cares about our relationships with our kids more than we do. And he wants to invite us to experience what it could be like. It's going to take work. It's going to take slowing down. It's going to take a lot of hard conversations, but my goodness, I think the, the best things in life are often the hardest things to work through, right? So I'm going to invite the band up, uh, and we're going to sing a song.
that I love. I think, I think the best way we can navigate this is to remember that we've been so loved by God, right? We've been so cared for. God has been so compassionate. God has been so kind. God has been so gracious to us. That is the good news, that God has done that through Jesus. And that is what transforms us, not us kind of picking ourselves up or just trying to work harder. We have to remind ourselves, hey, what has God done? And how can that transform me? How can that touch every corner of my life? And so we're going to sing this song that I picked this one. We did it a while back. It's called Yes and Amen. And the idea is it prevents us from being able just to work harder. Um, It prevents us. It calls us out from just trying to feel like we have to get our lives together. And it is basically a song of, you know, just um, accepting the gift that is. Uh, That God has done a great work. That God is faithful. That his promises are true. And so if we lean in to that good news, let's let that transform us as it begins to transform our families. Amen? All right, let me pray for us real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for your word. Um, thank you for these writings, God. We just pray that we would not be complacent. Um, God, we all care very deeply about our relationships, God, and we want to see um, we want to see young and old, every person come to know Jesus in such a beautiful, transforming way. And so, God, please give us the clarity about what this might look like in our lives. Hold us accountable. Challenge us. Make us uncomfortable so that we can experience life overflowing. Um, God, you've done such a great thing, and you love us deeply. May that be the catalyst that continues to transform our lives. We give these things to you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand.
God is faithful. He is faithful. That is the good news. And we see that most evidently in Christ. So may that continue to transform our lives, our relationships, everything, right? I want to remind you guys, um, some of us will be in the room right over here. If, you just, if you're new to CLC or maybe you've been here for a bit and just would like to say hi, connect with us. We believe in the importance of community. It's kind of easy to come, kind of come to a service and leave, but we think there's a, a bigger gift awaiting in connection. And so we invite you guys, if, um, if you uh, want to come, say hi, um, ask us questions, whatever it might be, and please feel free to do so. Um, and I realized, I realized too, this uh, um, sermon, you know, people never like it when people tell them how to parent, right? But I think God knows a little more something than we do. And so this is a vulnerable position to be. And so if I could challenge you and encourage you, go from this place vulnerable and let God speak life into our relationships. Amen? Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great week.